Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Live Your Personal Best. Today is our first episode of a new type of episodes that I will be releasing on this podcast, which will be highlighting different athletes' achievements. I've done it a few times in the past with gold medal Olympian uh, Mackenzie Cohen had come on before and, you know, she was talking about these different progressive movements that she was making in the swimming field. And I love that conversation. That was probably like a year ago now, last winter. And I loved being able to hear about, you know, like what athletes are currently doing in their field. And while it might not be motivational in the typical sense of like, oh yeah, I can do the same thing in my day today. I think that there's still some great motivation that you can get from seeing like these crazy things that different people do, you know, from the athletes that go on to row across the Atlantic Ocean to raise money for something versus first female athletes to break different records, right? There's so much like motivation that we can find in that. And so today's conversation is going to be one of those athlete spotlights. We are joined today by Jacob Perkins, and he is a world-ranked speed skier. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's because it's not really a popular sport, especially in the United States. It's mostly over in Europe and has been removed as an Olympic sport. It was in for one year as a trial I forget the right word of it but they were like trying to see if it will be in the Olympics and it got removed and so Jacob is still competing as a ski speed skier and is actively trying to get it reintroduced to the Olympics so I think that his story is super cool we talk about what speed skiing is we talk about what practices look like what trainings like how he even got started in this like very little well-known sport And if you are interested in seeing more what the sport looks like instead of just listening to it after, I encourage you to Google Jacob Perkins 100 mile per hour crash because it is this wild video where he's going down, wipes out. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling you to look this up, but it's just incredible because you hear him talk about like what led up to the crash and what happened after in today's episode. And so you're not going to want to miss that. So make sure to Google Jacob Perkins 100 mile per hour crash and you're going to learn all about this new sport today. So I hope that you're excited for these new series of episodes that will be, you know, popping in occasionally. And with that, let's get started. What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hey guys, today we are joined by Jacob. He's a current world-ranked speed skater and a former Division I tennis player from Indiana. I'm so excited that you're joining us today, Jacob. Uh, Thank you, Emily. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. 
Yeah, I'd love to start off just knowing more about the sport of speed skating or skiing, speed skiing. Um, can you tell us more about like what it is? How do you get ranked? All of that? Sure. Yeah. So it's basically where you're trying to ski in a straight line downhill as fast as possible. Uh, you're clocked uh, through the timing zone at the bottom of the hill. Uh, there's two timing gates and it's the average top speed wins. Uh, it's a heavily modified sport. We all are skiing on very long skis uh, with aerodynamic helmets and specially shaped fairings and ski poles and fastest wins. That's awesome. So what is like the fastest you've gone? What are the speeds that usually people are going? So my top speed is 103.74 miles an hour. Uh, the current record is 158.42 miles an hour. So pretty fast. That's crazy. Cause you know, I think the only thing comparable of me going in a small something going that fast is like a car, right? Like obviously I've been on planes that fast, but I think of like a car and that even gets scary going like a hundred miles per hour on the highway. So when you're going down, like, is this ever scary for you or what is that like? The scariest part is in the acceleration and in the start, but but once you get going and you focus in and, and pick up the speed, it, you actually feel like you're you're riding on a cushion of air and you're co you just kind of coast through the finish line. Uh, sometimes there's a compression, which is where there's like a bump and you go down and and you you'll feel. A downward pressure force, but the acceleration phase of the run is sometimes uh, you could call it scary or exhilarating for some. And then obviously the mindset of preparing for the run. I think one of the hardest things is committing and in that init initial push off because the runs are very steep and very long and it can be uh, intimidating at times for some. Yeah. And I'm sure at that speed, even little bumps probably get magnified when you're going that fast. The runs are, are very well prepared. The course workers at all the events uh, spend a lot of time making sure that the micro bumps and everything are, have been groomed out. And for some courses, they use lasers to actually gauge the slope and make sure that there's no undulations. But it's not uncommon, especially in the top parts of the run or even at the bottom to be some bumps and and at times you'll get airborne at at those speeds but the important thing to realize is because we're in a tuck we're only seeing 10 to 15 feet out in front of us we're not standing up as if you're casually skiing so everything's coming so fast and a lot of times you have to kind of feel the terrain instead of being able to anticipate it but that's also why inspecting the course and knowing how to anticipate those train changes is so important. Yeah, I didn't even think about that fact that you can only see 10 feet ahead of you. But I'm sure, you know, you probably practice on the course so many times you can kind of expect of like when to know when the finish line's coming up and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we typically practice at, at much lower speeds than, than 100 miles an hour. Back at the local resort um, in Ohio where I practice, I'm typically skiing around 60 to 65, so almost half the speed, but you can still learn a lot at those slower speeds and get used to being in a tuck, testing your equipment out, making sure you're in the, in the right position. But being in that, the helmets we wear, they're, they're almost like a Darth Vader looking helmet. They're cone shaped and 
slash teardrop shape and they're very very aerodynamic and inside you can only see like i was saying 10 to 15 feet because the visor on the helmet's typically not very large um, and then plus when your head's down in the tuck that angle doesn't allow you to, to see out very far yeah so i'd love to hear more about how you got started in this because i know that in college you were a division one tennis player so did you always do tennis and speed skiing did this come after like how did that work together yeah, so I got in uh, to speed skiing actually after my college career ended. I still do play tennis. I, I currently compete on this thing. It's called the UTR Pro Circuit. It's and uh, the ITF. It's the lower levels of professional tennis. But I, I thoroughly enjoy it because it's a way for me to keep keep my hand in the game and keep competing. And there's a lot of uh, similarities. It's great between tennis and skiing, it's great cross training, the lateral movement um, and balance from skiing. And it's, it's just a good overall body workout. But when I got into skiing was actually before I went off to college, I competed in slalom and giant slalom skiing at a recreational level, USSA masters. I was never a top level slalom or giant slalom skier. I was, I was a good club skier, good nationally ranked skier, but it wasn't like I was going to make it into the Olympics or go pro in skiing, but I'd been playing tennis my whole life. I, I started when I was seven years old. I competed in all the junior tournaments, got uh, ranked pretty highly uh, nationally, and and then got picked up by Southern Illinois, and then played four years for Southern Illinois, and then played my last year. I actually transferred to Wright State. And I had to redshirt that year slash transfer uh, due to an injury. And also the program got cut at Southern Illinois. So I played a lot of tennis in college and I still do play tennis. But the speed skiing was something I actually got into a year after I got done with college tennis. It was when I was 25. I'm currently almost 29. So I've been doing it about four years. Yeah. So you graduated and then you kind of already had the background in skiing. So you're like, oh, let's try this different type of skiing. Or is it like popular out where you live? It's not very popular uh, where I live. I mean, out West, there's people that used to compete um, on the World Cup and and speed skiing was actually in the Olympics in 92 in Albertville Albertsville, um, as a demonstration sport. So there's there's been a lot of history with speed skiing in the United States Actually, American won the bronze medal back when it was in the Olympics. But recently, there's not been a lot of interest in the sport. And that's something I hope to change. The biggest, it's really big over in Europe. Uh, a lot of the clubs and ski resorts, they um, have programs. Um, France does a great job. Sweden does a great job. But it's heavily dominant, European dominant. But I would like to get more people in the States interested in the sport. It was kind of interesting how I got into it. It was one of these things where I was looking for a way to get back into competing. And I just started looking for competitive skiing events that I could do and and with my skill set in alpine racing. And I'm like, huh, there's this thing called speed skiing and it looks really cool. Um, it looks futuristic at the the speed, the adrenaline. It was it was something I wanted to do. And 
the great thing about the speed ski community is they're all there to help you. I feel like in tennis and in other sports, it's, it's so, it's such an individual sport and it's almost like people don't want you to necessarily get into it, but with speed skiing, all the fellow racers in the U S as well as a lot of racers over in Europe, they've helped me with understanding the equipment set up and how to get into competition. So it just kind of naturally worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. I've also did a very small sport as a coxswain for the rowing team. And same thing, you know, like you hear someone else say that they're a coxswain, you're like, oh yeah, you know, like they must know it's like a very tight knit community versus maybe some of the bigger sports you like don't have that. Um, so that's great to hear. And then you mentioned that tennis training was very similar to the speed skiing training. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, what does the training look like? Is, is it every day out on the mountain or is it a lot of strength training? What is the focus there? Uh, it depends on the time of the year. Like right now I'm in the off season, so um, there's no snow around, so you can't ski, but uh, you can do rollerblading. Um, you can do aerodynamic testing and wind tunnels, you can you can make changes with your equipment because it takes a long time to develop the equipment like the the helmets, the poles, uh, get the binding set up. So this is the time when I'm making those changes. Um, and then as far as workouts, I, I work out actually seven days a week. I, I know some people say, oh, you should take um, a day off, but I'm not doing the same exercises every day. I'm focusing on different things. And my theory behind it, I like to do a lot of, of high intensity circuit training and get an overall strength and cardio workout. I'm not going in and just like lifting one, one rep or two reps. I mean, I found that to be very efficient and by not trying to necessarily max out on, on any particular weight, but push your comfort level and, and get higher in, in that comfort zone. I found that I've been able to get stronger and I can work out up to seven days a week and, and not feel sore or burn out. Yeah. You, you seem like you like the routine and the structure because when we're first talking, you're like, oh yeah, this is my off season. But then I guess in your off season for skiing, it's just your on season for tennis. So you're always going with something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's a never ending thing. We always joke about it because it's like people think from the outside that skiing is, oh, it's just a wintertime thing. But no, a lot of the skiers in the summer, they're going to camps either out at Mount Hood on the glacier and doing training or they're going over to sauce, sauce face and, and doing training on the glaciers over in Europe. It's a year round sport at a high level, but just at different times of the year, you're focusing on different aspects of the sport. Yeah. So will you go travel to Europe a bunch for trainings or like where are the major competitions for this? Yeah. So all the competitions currently are located over in Europe. A couple of years ago before the coronavirus, uh, there was a competition in Sun Peaks, Canada. Uh, I hope to bring back, uh, it's in, in uh, British Columbia. I hope to bring back a competition in Canada or North America soon. Um, and been working with with the Canadian team, but the, all the competitions are over in Europe. And as far as training, I, I do all my training here stateside. Like I was saying at the local resort in Ohio, it's only four to five hundred vertical feet, versus most of the speed runs are around a thousand feet. But like I was saying, even at the lower speeds, 
you can learn a lot and get a good feel for your equipment and your in your tuck position. And then I try to make one to two trips out west to see other speed skiers and work on equipment and testing as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to hear more about your last competition season two. So I know that for the 2022 FIS World Cup, you recently placed there. Can you kind of kind of like walk us through that competition and how that all went about? Yeah, so it's been kind of a, a a breakout season for me. For so I've been doing this for four years. For the first three years, I competed on what was called uh, S two. It's like it's the lower level category or feeder category into the World Cup uh, competitions. Um, it's run on just standard downhill equipment. We don't have the aerodynamic uh, helmets or extremely long s- skis. We're just on standard downhill skis. I did really well in that and. Um, the previous year before COVID uh, struck, uh, reached uh, sixth in that category. Um, and then this year was my first year on the, it's called S1 category or the World Cup category. I competed in, there, there's multiple local locations and multiple competitions at each location. So I competed in Finland, Sweden, And then um, actually I was going to compete in Andorra, but several of the competitions got canceled due to weather. But I was very happy for first year with my results. And especially considering that we've been coming out, uh, coming past the coronavirus and the past two year to two years, a lot of the competitions have either been canceled or there's been so many restrictions that only people only racers from that country could participate. Oh, that's so interesting. And as you mentioned, there's none even in the United States. So it's not like you had any advantage there. Yeah, basically last year. So I got two years in the in the lower category. And then last year, I wasn't able to compete at all because you couldn't travel anywhere um, due to all the coronavirus restrictions. And most of the races, uh, FIS actually can't canceled or like I was saying, it was it was limited to only racers uh, within that country. Yeah. So now that you moved up, you know, from the F2 to one, is it just a like stricter competition pool or is it a bigger like mountain that you go down? Are there any changes to kind of like the style that you have to do? Yeah. The map, the, the actual track is the same. We run the S2 and the S1, but the speeds are much higher in the S1. Uh, so for example, in, in the Sweden, uh, track where you saw that fall the tip the typical speed in s2 on that track was around um, 80 to 90 miles an hour versus um, in s1 it's 110 miles an hour so it's noticeably faster and the the equipment is is uh, very different and then also too the the people you're competing against are a different level a lot of the a lot of the racers are doing it um full-time professionally or semi-professionally and they um not to say that that in s2 they're not taking it seriously but for for a lot of the s1 guys um it's their you know it's their their uh, job almost so to speak focusing on the sport yeah and you have a background in engineering too right like you have a lot of input with your own equipment and stuff is that like an advantage that you have or do you find that a lot of the competitors also have this background in engineering too. There are several competitors that that do have 
other professions uh, that include engineering, aer aerospace, former Air Force, uh, ex-car racing, people that have been heavily involved like with equipment aspects that can translate to the sport. I think for me, it helps. I will say sometimes because I know a lot about it, I think sometimes it's easy to always be tweaking your equipment. And at some point, especially like when you're in the season, you know, you're out of time. You kind of have to go with what you, what you have. Like between competitions, I'll make some changes, but the big changes are happening like right now in the off season. Yeah. That's interesting. So you're almost like, okay, now I can't overthink it and like have to focus now back on the sport and the training. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I had seen a video that you had posted of this big wipeout at 100 miles per hour that you were then sliding down the mountain. And luckily, you know, you're okay from that. But have you ever had to deal with any injuries? Are injuries kind of common in this sport from falls? Uh, so actually after that fall, the next day I was skiing and I actually tried to compete, but the race, the race officials deemed um, like, cause I had some bruising and stuff that it would be better to uh, with, you know, postpone and, and uh, race in the next competition. Um, but I, mm -hmm. I walked away from that crash um, with basically no injuries besides some bruising. Um, and I attribute that uh, to the course workers and the safety officials um, at, at the event in, in Sweden. And then I also attribute that, um, to the protective gear and the training that we do. I mean, we all wear, um, uh, back protection underneath. Um, I wear, uh, a layer to two layers of, of protective clothing slash base layers underneath our suits. Um, and that greatly eliminates, um, a lot of the burning, and bruising that we could experience if we do fall. That's good. So even though it looks very, very serious, <laughs> you're usually like, okay, it's only a few bruises. It's not anything too threatening, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's what pe people get confused is, is they think like this because the speed's so high, but I mean, on the size of the course, it's all breakaway netting. The course is very, um, like I was saying, is, is meticulously groomed. Um, there's, there's medical people there, you know, if, if anything was to happen. So it's actually fairly safe. I've never been hurt in speed skiing. Um, I've actually had more injuries in tennis, but they've been overuse injuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I've loved getting to know more about speed skiing, all of that. What is next for you? You know, you're kind of on the off season from one sport going into tennis, but what are kind of your next goals from here? Yeah. So I, I tried to make a short list of goals for each year. Um, and one of the, th the things that I do with, with the goals that I set is um, I make sure that I'm pushing myself, but that it is an achievable goal. So I think my uh, realistically like this next year, since I went, uh, about 166, 167 K this year, that a good goal for this next year would be about 180 K, um, and, uh, as a top speed. And then I would like to increase the, my position, um, in a world cup race. Currently I've placed 18th, which is about middle of the, of the pack. I'd, I'd like to get a top 10 or top 15 finish and then just overall improve, improve my standings as well.
Yeah, that's awesome. It's crazy because, you know, that difference between speeds is like 20 kilometers per hour, but you know, both of them are such big numbers. I'm like, oh, the first one was fast. The second one's even faster. Yeah, a K in speed skiing is a big difference because, I mean, typically the the difference between the the winner and um, the the person that's middle or, or placing third, it's a couple K difference on, on a track. Oh, wow. So they're pretty close margins. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very competitive. Um, and like I was saying, even though I've only been 100 and 3.74 and the record's 158 the record was actually set on a different track where the top speed on that track is much higher than the track that um i was competing on um so that it does make a lot of difference the snow conditions the track the weather um and then just and just overall um who's competing and 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 where they're running the race on the track yeah no, that's so interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you, follow your races, support, all of that? Yeah, so go to jacobperkins.org and there will be updates on competitions as well as information about speed skiing and the sport. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.